we will sing a little more yet. But let's look at Acts chapter 14 this morning as we press on in our series in the book of Acts, the advance of the kingdom. On Thursday afternoon and evening, down there in South Blue Springs, Adams Dairy Parkway was flooded with families, students, spectators, and ball teams as Blue Springs South had their homecoming parade in preparation for their big night. It was the spirit of the old pep rally. Some of you more seasoned folks would remember the 1960s challenge to be true to your school. Let your colors fly, right? You remember those pep rallies, homecoming parades. They were designed to stir up excitement for the cause, to build some momentum, to encourage the teams, the players, to have this mindset of, we can do this. In chapter 14 of Acts, which we've covered already under the theme of verse 22, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. In this chapter, there is a paragraph tucked away to develop in disciples a mindset of, we can do this. Yes, it will be hard. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we will pass on this journey of grace. But we can do this. There's a phrase right there in that passage about tribulation, verse 22, that I want us to focus on this morning. In our text, we heard in verse 22 that Paul and Barnabas were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They knew they were going to tell them about the tribulations, but this phrase, through tribulation you enter the kingdom of God, is linked with this verb of strengthening the disciples. I want us to explore this phrase, what it means to strengthen the souls of the disciples. It seems Luke likes this key word, strengthening. He used it back in the narrative of his gospel account. Peter had boldly said, though all the other disciples would forsake Jesus, he would not. And Jesus warned Peter strongly that the devil desired to sift him like wheat. So imagine dumping wheat into a sieve and shaking it violently to let the big stuff fall through the sieve, preserving then the good stuff. He says, Satan desires to do this to you, Peter, to so shake your faith that it will seem like you've broken into pieces. And then Luke wrote, but when you are restored, you will strengthen the brethren. Jesus was predicting that Simon Peter would indeed deny him three times, but then on that shorefront, we read of it in John 21, Jesus restores Peter, commissions him to be a leader of God's people, and then in Acts 2, we see him stand up and strengthen the brethren. 
in this faith, in this way of following Jesus. In Acts chapter 15, in verse 32, Luke would use this word for strengthening the brothers. In Acts 15, 41, strengthening the churches. In Acts 18, 23, strengthening the disciples. It seems that if we get serious about advancing the kingdom, there needs to be at times a little bit of a pep rally to remind us that we can do this. We're on the right team. The momentum is ours. Christ's promise rings in our ears. He's building his church. And I know your witness may seem to hit the dead ends and they don't believe you. They don't even like your message. They think you're weird. And that might be your own family at times. But the reality is we come back to this text and we find this key word, strengthening the souls of the disciples in this task of advancing the kingdom even in the face of tribulation. This favorite word of Luke gives us our theme this morning, our big idea. It's just not complicated. You must contribute to the strengthening of the disciples. You as a believer, in your gifts by the Holy Spirit, in a local body and beyond, should be used by God to strengthen the hearts of other followers of Jesus as we together advance the kingdom in the face of hardship. The simple question we ask is, how? How are you and I supposed to be involved in strengthening other believers in following Christ? How can you strengthen other Christians? Let me point you to the text for five means by which you can strengthen the disciples with whom you do life. First, look at this context in verses 19 and 20. The Jews came from other cities and they persuaded the crowds that Paul and Barnabas were trouble. And so in, in just simple language, we hear a pretty dramatic description of what happened. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Verse 20 says, he rose up and entered the city. You see, he was outside of the city, and we know from the previous verse how he got there. They stoned him in the city, dragged him out, and left him for dead. They thought he was dead. These people aren't ignorant about stoning and death. So when they left him for dead, it's because of the extent of his injuries, having been stoned with anything from, you know, fist-sized stones to, to half-sized cinder blocks. They didn't stone people to just deal out some injuries. They stoned them to kill them by means of serious traumatic injury. They drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. And however he came to, whether that's by God's miraculous healing or otherwise, he entered into the city. 
which makes no sense to us. We know from this chapter and the ones before that persecution was mounting, and from the previous cities, there was the threat of stoning, so they just moved on to other cities. And we commended them for the common sense wisdom of, hey, if, it's, if I can't go any further here, I'll go to the next city and preach the gospel. But apparently the Spirit had Paul staying right here. And he walks right back into the city with perhaps a limp or a swagger and a look on his face that says something like, not so fast. That's not the way it's going to be. You're not getting rid of me that easily. And notice that the text says he does this when the other disciples had gathered around him. They gathered around this guy thinking he's dead. Paul gets back up and starts stumbling towards the city. And if their faith was anything like mine, I'd be like grabbing him by his shirt sleeve saying, whoa, 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 dude, you're delirious, all right? You've been hit in the head. You're going the wrong way. You're going back to the same city that stoned you. We're going this way. And Paul would have none of it. Those disciples saw before them a spirit-filled example of perseverance. How do you strengthen other Christians? Number one, model a defiant endurance. Model to other Christians a defiant endurance. One that faces hardship and may even be a bit beat up by it, but meets that hardship with a perseverance and endurance because of the cause that you're serving. Read Hebrews chapter 11 and note that the endurance of so many of these Old Testament saints was fueled by faith. They knew who God was. They knew what he was doing. And so they faced anything that came their way. So it is with this fledgling church in the book of Acts. They knew who God was. They knew what he was doing. He was building his church. And they were on board with that regardless of what they faced. You strengthen other Christians by modeling endurance. Show others this week how to endure by your example of pressing on through hardship by faith. Let them see your settled resolve to trust God with your health, with your finances, with the injustice in the workplace with the trouble brewing in our nation. Oh, you can talk about it, but talk about it with a settled confidence that God is advancing his kingdom and building his church. Don't get caught up in the, in the gloom and doom of everything's going wrong. Not everything, not according to Jesus, who said the gates of hell will not prevail against this advancing kingdom of God. Endure. Curb the language of even mild complaint. Start taking on that, that pep rally momentum of we can do this. The church is doing this. We will endure. If you want to strengthen other disciples, number two, then you must obey the Great Commission. We know the Great Commission, that's a label we've given to what Jesus said as he gathered with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. 
the way Matthew records it, we're told to go and make disciples. I want you to see how that commission unfolds in our text. Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So two big ideas for their understanding of what they were supposed to do. Preach the gospel. And I remind you, when we hear preach, we think, oh, the guy in the pulpit. But that word isn't the word for heralding or proclaiming that kind of preaching, the gift of preaching, teaching. This is the word good news in. It's the word gospel in a verb form. Spreading the good news, giving good news. So this isn't a, a calling to preach vocationally. This is just living out the joy of your Christian life. They were preaching the gospel. They were spreading the gospel and they were making disciples. So what is the Great Commission? It's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's making disciples of Jesus Christ. Followers, students of Jesus Christ. You strengthen the church when you rehearse the gospel often. When you remind people what God did through Jesus Christ for our salvation. When we remember that, Romans 8 says, when we think of God who spared not his own son to save us, we should remind each other of the next question. How will he, that God who gave his son for us, how will he not freely give us everything that we need? Encourage each other in the gospel. You strengthen the souls of the disciples when you point them back to their foundation, which is Jesus Christ. You strengthen the church when you urge each other to faithfully follow the Lord. We know life can be hard. We know the Christian life isn't easy. But the text calls us to attention to what it means to strengthen the souls of disciples and we're told it's connected to that cause, this great commission that we have been given to spread good news and to urge faithful following of Jesus. Well, then we come to our key phrase in the text in verse 22 strengthening the souls of the disciples, and we find some explanation of what this looks like. So how do you strengthen the souls of the disciples? Number three, encourage a robust theology. Encourage a robust, a well-rounded, a full theology. The text says in verse 22, Paul encouraged them to continue in the faith. Now, continuing in the faith can be in both belief, what we know about God, and in behavior, how we respond to what we know. But the root of it is this idea of what we know. This encouragement that Paul gave to the disciples that strengthened them to carry out kingdom work in the face of trouble, the encouragement looks like doctrine. 
It looks like theology. It looks like what is truth. How can your house stand strong when the stormy wind and waves come at it based on Jesus' parable? Well, by building your house on the rock, you have to have a strong foundation. So this week, encourage your spouse by pointing them to sound doctrine. Encourage them. Now, we wouldn't use this language perhaps. Oh, my dear wife, I want to encourage you to continue in the faith. Maybe some of you would. (laughs) Maybe we all should. But I'm guessing our words might sound a little different at times. You get home and and your spouse is worn out and frazzled on the edge of spirituality, right? What do you do? How how can you encourage them by pointing them to who God is? What he does for us? How this is what he's called us to? You can do this for your teenager. Life's going to be hard for them. And and you you can get frustrated with them or you can try to bring some stability to them by reminding them, hey, when wind and rains come, what is your foundation? Who is Jesus Christ? What do we have in him? What has he promised to us? What is true? So when your young person starts going on about all these things, and this is never going to work out, and this will never... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is, it, what is true today? What has God done for you? What has he said he wants you to do today? You see, this is calling your brothers and sisters back to the foundation, a robust theology that actually shapes our lives. What you believe about God and his promises will shape your behavior. And when when our mouths and our our minds are, are run amok in complaint and dissatisfaction, it can be traced back to we're not thinking on who God is. Or if we know that he's good, we're sure not dwelling on it. Encourage a robust theology. Point to what is true. Challenge people at times. In in their moment of, of drifting from truth, challenge them. Challenge them to tell you in a couple of descriptions who God is. Ask them to recount a few of the stories of old of what God has done for his people. How can we be strengthened, as one song says, in the fury of the storm while the tempest rages on and through the floods of unbelief and doubt? The answer is with doctrine. Christ, the sure and steady anchor. Encourage a robust theology. Again, you might not be thinking in your mind, okay, theology, 
We, we think systematic theology, a library of Bible doctrines. But the reality is that stuff that we have stereotyped as stuffy kind of book learning is the foundation of hope and peace in life, of security in Christ, of stability in our times. Don't ever shy away from those words theology and doctrine. They're just not that intimidating. It just simply means teaching. What does the Bible teach us about God? That's our foundation. And we strengthen each other first and foremost from the foundation of theology. Now, just a brief side note. We're talking about strengthening the souls of the disciples. It's a pretty broad category. Um, there, there are moments where we could dive into somebody's life in the moment of great trial, in the very moment of crisis. And you are probably aware of this, but, but sometimes an abundance of words about doctrine and God's promises, and this verse says that, and this verse says this, the abundance of words may not be at that very moment exactly what they need. Not because the word isn't sufficient or helpful or good. It is. It's all of those things. But sometimes there's, there's a moment of just being still, as the psalmist says, and that person needs to be still and know that God is God. You might be able to steer them, in that moment or moments beyond with God's truth. I guess what I'm trying to say is we don't, we don't always ride in with, with our big, thick, systematic theology and say, hey, let's review. And we start lecturing as if we were in a seminary class on, on how these doctrines unfold in the Bible. When, when, when what they wanted was just a hand on their shoulder or a hug or a reminder that, yes, I, I'm here with you in this moment. You see, those moments, though, they, they pave the way. They, they earn you a little bit of clout to be able to speak truth to that person. So let me say it this way. Because I can't tell you when to speak God's truth and when not to. Then you just rest in the Holy Spirit to know when to just sit quietly and love somebody by being there and when there is that freedom to speak words that they do eventually need to hear. That, 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 that's, a, that's a fine line of how you love someone in a moment of crisis. We, we never want to say, I can't use the Bible. We just want to be careful in coming to them that our approach is one that we, we, we so have found security and hope and joy in Jesus that we want them to know that. The Spirit will help you with that. Encourage a robust theology. Number four, how can we strengthen the disciples? Acknowledge a difficult journey. Acknowledge a difficult journey. What does Paul say? Verse 22, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Haven't read that yet on one of the Christian greeting cards. Hey, I know you're in the hospital. I thought of this verse, you know, <laughs> through many tribulations we must. No, we usually kind of get to the through part, like get through the tribulation and God's doing this beautiful work. 
But this is actually helpful. Remember, it's tied to, verse 22, he's strengthening the souls of the disciples. How? By encouraging them to continue in the faith and by saying that through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom. In the language of the text, these two things tell us how he strengthened them. It's an odd message. The first one sounds right. Encourage them who God is and what is true. The second one, and life's going to be really hard. Good luck. We're going on to the next church. But I think what we have here is the reality of Jesus' message to his earliest disciples. Unless a man takes up his cross and follows me, he cannot be my disciple. Hardship now, glory to come. We see it often. We see it in Peter's writing to the church. We see it in Corinthians, in Romans. Paul would write to the church at Rome, Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That sounds great. But we read on. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hardship now. But through that hardship, we enter the kingdom of God. We sing at Christmas time, though this road be scarred with trial and pain, it's paved with lavish grace. This is the message of strengthening the disciples. The road will not be easy, but it is the path of the presence of God and his sufficient grace. I told you before that I love track and field. The most recent televised meet had one of the closing events of the meet, the mile relay. It's called a 4 by 400 Four runners on a team, each run one full lap around the track, approximately a total of a mile. The Dutch women were favorites to win, but they were behind coming into that last 400-meter lap. Coming down to the last 100 yards, they are a good 10 yards behind, an insurmountable task at this level of competition. But this Dutch woman just hit another gear and races past within just inches at the finish line, breaks the tape first, and literally collapses forward into the arms of the three other runners on her team. And I thought, it's a great race. And I thought, having already been through Acts 14, that's entering the kingdom through tribulation. No Christian will stroll into heaven thinking, oh, that wasn't so bad. We are going to limp and stagger and maybe lunge across the finish line into the arms of the one who's waiting to catch us, our good shepherd, who, like those teammates to that runner, will say, well done, 
Well done. What a race. What a finish. Through tribulation, you enter into the joy of your Lord. So embrace the reality of this journey being hard. We encourage each other by reminding ourselves we don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, that everything will be just hunky-dory if you follow Jesus. That's not true. Following Jesus is crucifixion. It's taking up a cross. But it's worth it because of the mercy that we have received. Finally, we strengthen the disciples as we grow with God's family. In verse 23, we just see the, just a skeleton of facts. They appointed elders in every church. So there's local gatherings now, and they need leaders to help carry out, or at least to equip people to do verse 22. There's prayer and fasting. Why? As an expression of commitment. And there's that reminder of the one in whom they've believed. There's all these elements of the local body. The gift of the Spirit in leadership, the gifts of the Spirit in every member, together pulling off this commitment to the one we believe in. It's just a reminder that we strengthen the brothers as we grow with God's family. The strengthening happens in the context of the local church, the believers. Not that you can't strengthen those believers that you know from other churches and other in your workplace and they're there in your neighborhood. We rejoice that our, our community is saturated with gospel preaching churches. They don't have to do it just like we do. We're all in this together. This verse 23 is this context. This whole paragraph has multiple cities, multiple gatherings, multiple believers and churches. This is God's plan. That in the family of God, we strengthen each other so that we will grow. We worship together. We struggle to believe together. We are strengthened together in the family of God, the church. So may God help us this week to know our task at hand, to strengthen the heart of another follower of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your sufficient grace that makes us strong in weakness. May we share that grace and provoke one another to continued love and good works. Hear and answer this prayer for the testimony of your church and for the glory of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.